The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. How are you this evening? Good, Father. How are you? Good. Oh, fine. Getting over a cold, so I hope people will put up with my gravelly voice. That's <laughs> all right. It's that time of year. <laughs> uh, Father, we received a couple emails in response to our most recent video on the, the Tuck Bishops, mm-hmm. and I thought if we could just quickly... <clears throat> address those. I hate to leave these uh, unanswered. So I'll read this first one here, which says that I saw your video of the Took line bishops. You stated that Archbishop Took ordained and consecrated non-Catholics. I just wanted to tell you that Archbishop Lefebvre did also. He ordained and consecrated men that do not believe in the no salvation dogma like you, Father Jenkins. You are a heretic and claim that people that believe in the dogma no salvation outside the Catholic Church are heretics. You believe in baptism of blood and baptism of desire. They are not sacraments. There is only one baptism that is a sacrament, and that is with water. I believe in one baptism, not three. Response, Father. Oh, well, good for you. And uh, actually, there's only one sacrament of baptism. That's true. Um, One could argue whether the term baptism of desire and baptism of blood, whether those terms are good or bad in the sense that they might tend to be misleading. There's only one sacrament of baptism. That's a fact. We know that. We all agree on that. And uh, I would like to say that uh, our writer is not a heretic from that point of view. (laughs) But here she says that there is one sacrament of baptism. Nonetheless, it is a doctrine of the Catholic Church that has come down to us. Uh, through the church's ordinary magisterium, and also uh, you'll find it uh, stated not only in the uh, Catechism of the Council of Trent, but also in the documents of the Council of Trent itself, that the desire for the sacrament can avail one unto salvation. The Catechism of the Council of Trent explicitly says so. And if our writer wants to argue, uh, the argument is not with me, it is with the Catechism of the Council of Trent and Pope St. Pius V, who was the first pope to issue that, to, um, as it were, promulgate that. And it is contained in the very first edition of the Catechism that came out under his authority. So if our reader wants to cont- our writer wants to contend with St. Pius V, that is his or her prerogative. But the argument is not with me. Uh, The fact that there is no salvation outside the church is a defined dogma of the Catholic Church. And I don't know where this person gets the idea that I deny that. Maybe he or she is inferring it from the fact that I believe that there is such a thing as a baptism of blood and a baptism of desire, such that God would give the graces of justification and sanctification through those two means, um, if she wants to infer or he wants to infer that that means a denial of the doctrine, no salvation outside the church, 
well, this person is just completely wrong. You know, they're making a, an unwarranted inference. Um, the fact is, the dogma of the faith stands perfectly well. The question is, uh, with baptism of desire or baptism of blood, is not whether uh, people uh, outside the church can be saved by these means. The question is whether or not these means can incorporate one to the church so that they belong to the church and can receive the graces of justification of their sins and sanctification through sanctifying grace. And the church has answered the question, yes, they can be. Uh, they can be, come to belong to the church by, means, uh, by these means. God can do this. And um, so that in no way impugns the doctrine of the uh, uh, fact that outside the church there is no salvation. Um, this writer is unfortunately all too typical in the abuse of the word heretic and slapping a heretic on just about anybody uh, they disagree with, right? Or they misunderstand. Um, so it's unfortunate, but the odd thing is that uh, most of the the took clergy whom I know uh, would uh, tell her that she is wrong for denying baptism of blood and baptism of desire, because most of the took clergy I know, at least whose positions on the subject I know, <coughs> agree with me that there is indeed such a a, a thing as um, baptism of blood and baptism of desire, meaning that God can, uh, by means of these, um, you know, bring one to justification, sanctification, and finally salvation. <coughs> I think most of the Turk bishops would say that she is wrong in denying these things. Maybe she would accuse them of being heretics for that reason, too. I don't know. <coughs> but um, unfortunately, she, well, um, she. I know this doesn't sound nice, but it's the fact is she doesn't really know what she's talking about, honestly. Um, but I'm sure, as certain as I am that she doesn't really understand what she's talking about, I'm sure she's ten times more certain that she does. <laughs> <laughs> and she's quite infallible in her understanding, or he. Mm -hmm. So, uh, anyway, I would, what can I say except uh, we can mutually agree to pray about go. that. Um, uh, in any case, uh, we'd probably let, better let that be, right? <laughs> All right. The ne next email, Father, I thought this one was important to answer. Yeah. This viewer says that I listened to the show and I've read some more. I guess the discussion is beyond my pay grade and it causes me to feel very down. Yeah. I'm just concentrating on loving Jesus more and more each day. <clears throat> I'm praying for Father Sanborn as he is a very brilliant person who explains the gospel in a way that makes it very clear to me. Yeah. Well, good Father Sanborn's very, very bright, no doubt about it. And as I mentioned last time, we need to pray for him because um, the reports that he's had a couple of heart attacks uh, evidently are not accurate. Um, he did have some severe blockage, I understand, which would have um, led to an, a heart attack. He was in danger of a, an imminent serious heart attack, which uh, I understand was... Um, uh, avoided, mm -hmm. um, thank goodness. But uh, I do urge everyone to pray for Father Sanborn once again. I uh, ask you to um, 
I keep his health in your prayers. Also, um, with regard to this gentleman, he says <coughs> the controversy is above his pay grade. Well, I guess people are actually saying by that it's above their ability to understand, follow, make a, a come to a, a secure conclusion of our life. I don't think that's true. I think anybody who can discern the real, the traditional Catholic faith. Uh, as distinct from and utterly opposed to the, the modernist Novus Ordo, certainly has the wherewithal, uh, intellectually, but also by the grace of God, to make an understanding of these things. We can understand if they consider themselves to be truly traditional Catholics who follow Catholic tradition, they can see that this is not traditional. And uh, that what this uh, one writer said that Archbishop Lefebvre uh, ordained non-Catholics also, <coughs> that that is not true. Um, and, and she says he ordained non-Catholics because he ordained men who believed in baptism of desire and baptism of blood, which is evidently what she is saying there. That is simply, um, uh, that certainly doesn't make them non-Catholic, quite the contrary. Um, so I, I think one can understand that it is not tradition, it is not uh, acceptable to Catholic tradition, it has always been condemned by Catholic tradition, always and everywhere, in the most severe possible terms for a Catholic bishop to consecrate a non-Catholic. Um, I've even issued a, a, a challenge to anyone who can produce any uh, clear evidence, incontrovertible evidence, that the Church has at any time ever approved of a Catholic bishop consecrating a non-Catholic. Uh, I, I even offered a reward of a thousand dollars for finding any evidence that the church has ever approved of this and even failed to condemn it. Um, in, in very, you know, very strong terms. So, I have not seen any, any such evidence. No one has even uh, pretended to offer such evidence. You know, Tom, so, uh, no, I don't think it's above your pay grade to figure that out. The fact that you want to love our Lord and be faithful to Him is uh, is an excellent thing. Uh, but I think uh, loving Him and being faithful to Him in practice mean that sometimes we do have to uh, apply the the time and the energy and uh, ask God's wisdom to understand the challenges that are before us to really be traditional Catholics, not just claim to be, but actually follow a Catholic tradition. And uh, the Archbishop Took did not. He did not follow Catholic tradition. Uh, he did something that was considered to be a grave crime against the unity of the Church, for which the Church automatically excommunicates in the most severe possible way. And so uh, an automatic excommunication that is most specially reserved to the Holy See as I mentioned last time. You know, Tom, someone recently pointed out to me, uh, since our last program, uh, kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting thought on this. Um, and that is, uh, one, part of the argument, on the, on the Took side, okay, the fa favoring Archbishop Took and uh, the validity of, of the ordinations and consecrations he did, Part of that argument is that, well, according to the Church's uh, own law, there are only a very few people who have the right 
to even challenge the validity of a consecration. And these are those who are assisting the bishop uh, at the altar in, in, in administering the sacrament or in consecrating bishops. <clears throat> the archpriest and various others who are there to assist in an official capacity uh, close enough uh, to the bishop uh, <clears throat> that they can hear what he say, says and they can assist <clears throat> immediately in the consecration. And that outside of these small, this small group of people, no one else has any canonical or legal standing to question the validity. And is that true? Well, actually, yeah, there is a, there is a, uh, a good point there. Um, but that point does not actually serve the, the took cause at all. Quite the contrary. Uh, it actually is another, as it were, nail in the coffin for the argument in favor of Archbishop Took's consecrations. Why? Well, be, because it just restates the fact of what I was saying before, that the argument, arguments made by Father Sanborn, arguments um, made by Mario Dirksen in his open letter to, to Father Kelly, or Bishop Kelly, uh, that these arguments are false arguments. Why? Because they pretend that the church automatically gives the benefit of the doubt and uh, favors the validity of a consecration as long as it can be proven or at least accepted that a ceremony was for performed. That if a ceremony was performed, that the church says the presumption is in favor of the validity of the ordination, consecration, and so on. So, therefore, since we agree, if we agree that Archbishop Took did perform ceremonies of consecration, if we agree that those ceremonies took place, then we must also agree that they are presumed to be valid. We must accept them as valid. Now, this is an argument of the Protooks, okay? And I mentioned that uh, in bringing this up, and referring to uh, Sullivan, Capello, and, and a number of other authors in the church, uh, that Mario uh, and Father Sanborn also before him were making a very serious error. And uh, they were overlooking, they were overlooking uh, an important fact here, that those authors are all referring to, uh, for example, ordinations, consecrations, that were done canonically. They were done within the canonical framework of the Catholic Church. All of them were presuming that this was the case. And the argument about the few men who can question a consecration uh, proves that point, actually. Because when you have ordinations and consecrations that are done according to the, the, the official function of a bishop or an archbishop in the church, in, a, let's say, a cathedral church, ordaining and consecrating, uh, you have these men, you have those assisting the archbishop. They, you have those assisting the bishop. They're there, they're assisting him, they're working with him. And yes, they do have standing to say something was wrong, because that's what they're there for. They're there to assist the bishop to make sure that what he does is done correctly and those consecrations are valid. You see, when the church, when a man functions in his official capacity, uh, 
as a representative of the Roman Catholic Church, as a bishop or an archbishop, for example, of the Roman Catholic Church, and he ordains and he consecrates. He has the authority of the church behind him, and he is doing things, as we say, in in his canonical function, that's his, his official function as a representative of the church, in conferring holy orders. And when he does so, <clears throat> he has all of these assistants around him as part of the ceremony. And that's why they have that position. <clears throat> but Archbishop Tuck did not have any of those when he consecrated anyone. He did not have any of those people there with him, you know, who, who the very type, the very persons mentioned by the uh, supporters of the Tooks who have canonical standing to question the consecration. Those very f functions were not exercised. Those people were not there for any of the Took consecrations. So, of course, if they say, well, these are the only people who can question them, and look, there were no such people there for the Took consecrations, that tells you that these were not done canonically. These were not done in the official capacity as a representative of the Roman Catholic Church. These were undertaken by Archbishop Took himself, you know, his own decision. He, Archbishop Took, decided to consecrate so-and-so, and not in any official capacity, but himself. He made that decision. Now, one might argue, well, Bishop Mendez did the same thing, didn't he? And Archbishop uh, Lefebvre, we can argue that after maybe 76, he did the same thing, you know, because he was subject to uh, censure and so on. So you couldn't argue that he was operating, uh, acting as an official representative of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the fact is, though, that Archbishop Lefebvre did surround himself with all of those functionaries who were there to surround him, to aid him in the consecrations. That's a fact. Bishop Mendes did not have that, but he had two witnesses. He had, among them, Father Marachka and myself, who were at his side for that very purpose, uh, to see to it that the, uh, the consecration of Bishop Kelly, for example, that the ordinations of Father Bomberg and Father Greenwell were done correctly, and we did. Um, um, you know, well, we did exercise those functions, and um, some might even say excess excessively so, <laughs> be absolutely certain of the validity. And that uh, that's because we understood that these were not being done canonically. These were decisions being made by the individuals, including Archbishop Fev, as well as Bishop Mendez and Archbishop Took to go ahead with these ordinations and consecrations <clears throat> and uh, not, uh, not as official uh, representatives of the, of the Catholic Church in the sense that they had some kind of a, a jurisdiction within the Church, ordinary jurisdiction uh, or even delegated jurisdiction to perform these. <clears throat> but they chose to do them because of the need of the Church, the need of the faithful. <clears throat> That's not to in any way impugn uh, the consecration of a uh, of a Catholic priest, a real Catholic priest, by a true Catholic bishop. Uh, under circumstances like this, the Church has shown us in the past from our history that that can be uh, certainly legitimate and uh, and uh, and right, or even necessary. The Church herself has shown from her tradition that this can be rightly done. Um, but what cannot be rightly done 
is uh, consecrating non-Catholics. This is the point that I was making before, okay? The point being that to insist that there are only a very few people who can impugn the validity of the consecration is to admit <clears throat> that <clears throat> the Church allows that and requires that, in fact, because those people are present <clears throat> at the ordinations and consecrations of bishops, of priests and bishops. And they are there uh, precisely for that purpose. <clears throat> uh, that's part of the, the service that they performed. Therefore, the Church can guarantee that those ordinations and those consecrations are valid. She puts her authority behind them when they are done canonically by an archbishop in his cathedral church, ordaining the graduating class of the major seminary for that year, who were ordained deacons before. Now they're to be raised to the level of priests. The church guarantees that by her authority, and she shows the fact that she is guaranteeing those ordinations by her authority by having all of those competent people around who are able to step forward if there's something wrong and say this is wrong. At times in the past, uh, someone who did have that standing did step forward. And um, the ordinands were gathered uh, when it was determined there was something wrong. And uh, something was omitted or something was uh, done incorrectly. Yes, there were times when the ordinances were gathered back in the in the cathedral churches, and uh, the bishops would uh, repeat at least the parts of the ceremony that were omitted or that were uh, mistaken for some reason. Um, in the um, commentaries of, uh, on the Code of Canon Law, it'll, it, they actually talk about um, that being done when it's necessary to repeat a part or the, or the entirety of the ceremony because of some error and mistake. Um, but the, uh, the Church does not and cannot guarantee ordinations and consecrations that are done outside of her canonical uh, structure by those who do not have, uh, are not acting in their official capacity. Uh, let's say the, the bishop of a diocese or something like that. Uh, when an individual, whether it be Archbishop Took or Bishop Mendez or even Archbishop Lefebvre himself, uh, takes it upon himself to uh, perform ordinations or consecrations, um, he can't expect people to say, just because I performed a ceremony, I chose to perform the ceremony, everyone must accept it as valid. They have to provide the necessary means for people to guarantee the validity. And um, Archbishop, Archbishop Lefebvre did that, and Bishop Mendez did that, and Archbishop Turk did not do that. But beyond that, not only does, did the imprudence and the recklessness extend to failing to provide the necessary proofs um, for the consecrations that he, he did, um, he went so far as to also consecrate non-Catholics, mm -hmm. which the Church has absolutely condemned. So um, I didn't want to return quite at length to the subject, but as I say, it just was pointed out 
once again that uh, one of the arguments that the those some people used they say in favor of the two consecrations is actually an argument against them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope that was clear. I, with the cold, sometimes I, uh, I have a little difficulty expressing what I'm thinking, but I hope you can understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think it's, it's, it's understandable how someone could feel kind of overwhelmed by all of this and, and kind of mm-hmm. be, be depressed about it, about how, how it can be tough to understand all of this. But I, I think that we got a, another email concerning this, this video, mm-hmm. which I thought... Uh, answered the previous email wonderfully of how this this individual said that they they uh, some time ago converted from the Novus Ordo Church and they found traditionalism and when they came to the traditional church they thought you know at last finally I found the, the traditional faith I just want to focus yeah. on practicing this but then they encountered the the problem with the the took line yeah. and they thought well oh, oh my goodness I, I'm I just want to focus on my faith you know and, and kind of ignored the question for a while but then realized okay this is a serious question that yeah. I have to address I have to to understand what is going on here and make the right decision and they were able to do that um, through through these videos specifically and so I think that it that it's it, it is possible certainly to understand this 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 viewer terms it perfectly when they say that this is just another problem orchestrated by the devil but that 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 describes it perfectly you know Satan is the father of lies he hates truth and so that's this is what he does try and make things as obscure and, and complicated as possible but in reality there's only one truth it's it's the truth is simple mm-hmm. and so it is possible to understand if one just takes the necessary puts necessary effort into it you know mm-hmm. and we there's another email i don't have it in front of me right now but but a, another viewer just said essentially i mean after viewing these videos that there there can be no other arguments it seems that father you've addressed nearly every point possible and there, there's just no no standing left than any of these took followers can possibly have but even this viewer said that unfortunately the the problem will still continue i'm afraid so, so. i'm afraid so you know tom there are those who want to argue the point from you know the degrees of canon law and so on but when you stand back and look at the whole problem from the standpoint of catholic tradition and how does the Catholic Church judge such things as Archbishop Took did? There really is no. I, I, I don't see how can there be, there can be any argument about it. Uh, because it's very clear that one can wrangle all they want, as Father Chicago likes to do, wrangle all they want about canon law this and canon law that. Uh, that we have to actually understand the Church's laws in her terms, not ours. In the terms that the Church has given us to understand that is, how she applies her own laws, not what Father Chicago would like to make of them, interpret them. How does the Catholic Church traditionally understand her own laws? And I think the answer is very clear, that traditionally the Catholic Church would condemn what Archbishop Took did, uh, not only uh, with things that um, could be approved under some circumstances, but not others, uh, I'm talking about things that the church has always condemned everywhere and condemned as very, very seriously wrong with serious penalties, uh, incurring irregularity, uh, clergy incurring irregularities, suspensions, and even excommunications. I think that certainly applies. I don't see how one can how one can possibly just simply brush that aside. And no matter what other arguments they, they may try to make, 
they cannot reconcile this with Catholic tradition. Definitely. Well, Father, you mentioned uh, Father Chicada there. If we could kind of go into a little bit of a, of a different subject here. We had a, an, an email from a viewer who asked if you're familiar with the document, the nine verses of the Fev, we resist you mm-hmm. to your face by Father Chicada in 2008. I want to know if you're familiar with that and if that is an accurate rendition of the events. I have heard of it and I am reasonably certain that I read it, but <laughs> I don't recall um, I don't recall. This was by Father Chicago, they say. They say Father Chicago in 2008. I I can't really comment on it, but I will, uh, because they took the time to write in. I'll uh, locate that. I assume it's not hard to find it. And I will read it again. I I will say this, that, um, well, number one, please pray for Father Chicago because he's had cancer and... uh, Anyone battling cancer, you know, should have our prayers. Um, but I, I do find that Father Chikata tends to be bitingly sarcastic. Uh, I think that in terms of the gravity of what we're discussing, we need to uh, rise above that. Now, and that's not to say that I can't be a bit more sarcastic at times. But I consider that to be a bit of a fault, <laughs> too. And um, I think when we're talking about things that are really um, uh, a matter of our eternal salvation and the condition of the church today and um, the condition of souls today, uh, I, th- I think we have to lay aside the um, tendencies, shall we say, to enjoy indulging ourselves in a little sarcasm. <laughs> and uh, so, I personally, I find Father Jakarta's writing a bit difficult to read, not because it is uh, intellectually, uh, uh, let's say, elevated so much, but because um, the sar- sar- I find the sarcasm very distracting. Um even when it's a sarcasm uh, that we might say is is, is on our side, <laughs> you know, uh, I just don't uh, see the place for it in writings like this. Okay. Fair enough. All right. I will I will look that that up though and sure. see what I can find out. Next email, then Father, this viewer says I am writing for assistance. I consider the Vatican II sect to be demonic, and I want to build a library to help insulate and educate my family and myself. I think there are a few decent books available today. Edward Fazer's works on philosophy seem essentially untainted from Vatican II infection, but most books today are garbage. Can you recommend books in the following disciplines? Philosophy, apologetics, dogmatics, canon law, church history, and scripture studies. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time and holding fast. Well, I could recommend some books, but um, actually, if we got started to recommend a whole library worth of books, it would be difficult. Uh, Dr. Edward Fazer is writing some excellent things right now. So I think I could recommend without reserve reservation uh, Dr. Edward Fazer's writings on St. Thomas Aquinas and so on. Um, but uh, if you're going to build a library starting with the Summa of St. Thomas Aquinas in English, I don't know if this individual reads anything other than English, might read French or Spanish, um, 
the Summa Contra Gentiles is very good in Latin, and you can get it in Spanish too. Um, I don't know that it's, it, it might well be available in English, come to think of it. Dominican provinces here in the United States may have produced that in English, I'm trying to remember. Um, but the Summa of St. Thomas Aquinas is available in English. Uh, Glenn, uh, Father Paul Glenn, wrote some very excellent books. Um, for the layman, you know, um, on uh, philosophy and uh, also, well, natural philosophy, I believe, natural theology. Um, and Pat um, Rugon, uh, H-U-G-O-N. I don't know that his works are in English. I wish they were. Uh, in French, they're excellent. Uh, Dominican. Um, so, you know, recommending his works are very fine. I, I, most of the works I'd recommend are in Latin. Zubizarreta uh, for fundamental theology. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, Prumer. Uh, Prumer's works have been translated, at least the, the body make him the small moral theology uh, manual. Uh, does exist, and one can get that from St. Bonaventure Press, I know. <clears throat> but the multi-volume work of Father Primer on moral theology, um, I don't know that that has been translated into English. Um, if it has, that would be worth getting. Primer, P-R-U-M-L-A-T, U-M-M-E-R. Um, <clears throat> trying to think of what I know would be in English. Uh, uh, there's a fine gentleman in Florida who's become a, uh, a real student of these things and actually recommends books to me. And I find that his recommendations are spot on. And he's the one who directed me to uh, Edward Fazer, for example. So um, there are a number of other authors that he's recommended recently. Maybe I could get this writer in touch with him because something tells me they have a very lively, spirited, and informative discussion. So uh, with, with his permission, I'll, I'll do that. And uh, I know this uh, fine Catholic gentleman would be more than willing to help in any way because he is very dedicated to Catholic learning. Uh, so I think he'd consider this to be a, uh, uh, a, a work of mercy, <laughs> as it were, one of the uh, spiritual works of mercy that he could do. Um, so what, what I'll try to do is make up a, a list, a written list, and give it to you, Tom, and ask you to send it on to okay. our inquirer. Um, and if I know where these books can, books can be obtained, I'll also recommend. Uh, by the way, quite a number of books can be obtained from Preserving Christian Publications, PCP, uh, uh, run by well, John Parrott. In New York, uh, he has quite a selection. There are a number of other uh, dealers in traditional Catholic books. Some I haven't really uh, been in touch with in a while, so I don't even know if they're in business. But I know Preserving Christian Publications is uh, still in business, and uh, they have a lot of good traditional Catholic volumes. So, um, but I'll, I'll try to... Uh, put together a list and we'll also um, see if I can't bring um, our writer here together with uh, Mr. X. 
uh, who can really uh, give some good advice. Sounds good. Thank you, Father. Yes, sir. Uh, okay, then next email about Protestant prayers. If you'd be so kind as to ask Father to talk about Protestant prayers, are any heard by God? If so, which ones are and which ones are not? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, Protestant prayers are heard by God. I mean, in the sense that God hears everything, absolutely everything. He's omniscient and omnipresent, and He hears everything. But if you mean, uh, and I think this is what you really mean, does God hear them favorably? Does God respond to them? Does God find them uh, uh, pleasing to Him? Well, the only prayers that God would find pleasing are prayers that uh, are inspired by the virtue of faith, the virtue of hope, and the virtue of charity, or at least the desire for them. Um, in the gospel, our Lord says, if you, if you have faith, you know, this can be done. And the man says, oh, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. So he was recognizing that he, he had faith, but it was far from perfect. It was rather uh, infirm, shaky, uh, he lacked conviction, and but he had enough to know that and to ask our Lord to uh, supply what was lacking in his faith. So uh, if there were a Protestant who is motivated by the virtue of faith, is it possible? Yes, it can be. Uh, the Church has talked about invincible ignorance in which someone may not know the truths of faith. Uh, after all, uh, Pope Pius Tenth lamented over a hundred years ago in an encyclical to all the bishops of the world, Pope Pius X himself lamented that there were many Catholics at that time who did not have a sufficient knowledge of the faith even to be saved. <clears throat> um, their knowledge of the faith was so lacking, so faulty. They didn't even know the fundamental teachings of the faith. That's sad and alarming, and he was alarmed. <clears throat> and um, But the, uh, the point being that um, one doesn't have to have a doctorate in Catholic theology. One doesn't have to be a St. Thomas Aquinas or a St. Bonaventure um, to have the virtue of faith. Um, um, a, Protestant, a Protestant could uh, have the virtue of faith from God and want to know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and turn to God and ask for that. A Protestant could actually have the virtue of hope and hope in our Lord, and a Protestant could actually have charity. Without the virtue of charity, no prayer can be, can be pleasing to God. Any prayer has to be motivated by a love for God, to, to be pleasing to Him. Uh, St. Paul says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Here he is speaking about the virtue of faith, which he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, and charity. Now there remain faith, hope, and charity. He's talking about the virtues of these things, the virtues of faith, the virtue of hope, the virtue of charity. Um, a distinction is important here. You have a certain knowledge of the doctrines of the faith. What enables you to believe them and hold them as true is the virtue of faith, 
within you. <clears throat> okay? That's a, a very real thing, that virtue. It's a strength given to you by a special grace from God to believe things that you cannot understand. The Blessed Trinity, the real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, the Incarnation itself. Who can understand these mysteries? Because they require the power of Almighty God to do. Even the greatest of the angels cannot fathom these mysteries and comprehend them. It would take an infinite intellect, just as it takes infinite power, an infinite intellect to understand them, as it takes an infinite power to effect them. <laughs> and so, uh, um, your knowledge of the faith is, is very good. You believe what's in the Catechism. And you have the intention to believe everything that uh, God has revealed and the, and the Church teaches. But you may not know exactly what that means right now. You may not know everything. If I asked you to write out a, a comprehensive uh, schema, a schema of the faith in all of its details, I don't know that you'd be able to do it. I don't know that I'd be able to do it. We sat down every single thing. Uh, that the Church has taught in her doctrines throughout the centuries, and it's a lot more than than dogma. It's a lot more than defined dogma. Her doctrines, some of her doctrines are defined, not all of them, but they're still doctrines of the Church, as I pointed out before. I even liken it to our Lord in the Gospel teaching, and everything he said was absolutely the truth, mm -hmm. um, and had to be believed with absolute uh, unhesitating faith that what our Lord said was true. But only at certain times did our Lord find it necessary to say, Amen, Amen, I say unto you. And that's like a defined dogma of the Church. When the Church, um, like our Lord, made this special point of uh, insisting on the truth of a doctrine that was perhaps being disputed by others. So, <coughs> uh, you can still have the virtue of faith, even if you are mistaken on some point or another. Um, there are people out there right now, like our, our writer earlier on, who does not believe in the Church's doctrine on baptism of desire. Even though it is stated verbatim in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, which is a part of the Church's ordinary magisterial teaching, um, she does not accept that. But I believe, I mean, I can't say she doesn't have the virtue of faith. I would have to say that I believe she's very confused. And she's been been confused, um, deliberately, no, deliberately. She has been confused by the errors of others, who, whose errors she has taken uh, without uncritically and accepted. And she's convinced of an error, and this is an error against the faith. But that doesn't necessarily mean she doesn't have the virtue of faith and want to believe the truth. And once she knows it and sees it for what it is, she would accept it without any hesitation. Even though it may cost her friends or employment or who knows what. She's willing. She may have that devotion to the truth, have faith. So um, could it be true of a Protestant? It could be, by the grace of God that a Protestant actually has the virtue of faith, the virtue of hope, and a certain love for our Lord, which is leading him to pray to God for help, grace, mercy. You know, the Church has said very clearly that uh, grace of God does work outside, to keep the people outside the Church, and it considers it actually a heresy. I think it's a defined dogma of faith, if I'm not mistaken. 
the graces of God do go to those outside the church. But I mean, you know, you don't have to be a theologian to see that. How could anyone ever convert to the faith if that were true? I mean, it would be impossible. Um, someone doesn't just bump into the faith and said, oh, I'll try that. Maybe that's true. And then they can kind of slowly convince, convince themselves of it. No, no, no. They're led by grace from God. Uh, to find find him, and because God sees that that person is cooperating with graces he is being given, and the person, the people who show up at the door and want to become Catholics, generally by the time that they come to the door, they're already convinced that the Catholic faith is, is faith is a true faith, even before they know everything it teaches, even before they've gone through the catechism. That's why the church doesn't baptize them immediately. As the Council of the Trent said, the baptism of adults can be deferred because their intention to be baptized and their contrition for sins will avail them, the church has confidence, will avail them of justification and grace from God. So how can you have a more powerful explanation of the church's statement of belief in the, in the baptism of desire than that? But when people come to the doors uh, and they introduce themselves, they want to be uh, study the Catholic faith. It's because many of them, not if not all, already believe that it is true. They know enough to have faith to believe that it is true, and now they want to f- to fill in the gaps in their knowledge of it. In a sense, to know now explicitly what they already believe implicitly, because they've already embraced the faith by. The virtue of faith. So you see what I mean um, in answering this poor, poor person's question. I wasn't expecting such a lengthy uh, response. Um, it is possible uh, only when a Protestant can pray with the virtue of faith, hope, and charity. That's the only time that Catholic's prayer is really acceptable. Um, Except Catholics can be in the state of grace and still pray and beg God for for actual grace to help them, and and I guess this this also should be said in in that light too. When as someone who's outside the faith, the Catholic faith, outside the Catholic Church prays, the prayer is a a prayer which is heard by God if it is prayed <coughs> with a certain. Uh, virtue of faith, hope, and charity, or the desire for these, like the man who prayed that God would help his unbelief. Um, It draws from God the actual graces, when that prayer is sincere. It draws from God the actual graces for that person to overcome the obstacles to faith and hope and charity. And the, the intention of God in giving those graces is to bring that person to what he's praying for. And that is true faith, true hope, true charity. And um, so, um, yes, these prayers are rudimentary, um, but they can be acceptable to God insofar as God sees the sincerity of someone who wants to know him and wants to place their hope in him and wants to love him at least that much. And that's because he's given them the graces to want that. And if they cooperate with those graces, then he can give them the, next, the graces of the next step. 
um, to recognize where the true faith can be found and only uh, only found in the Catholic Church, the true traditional Catholic Church, of course. Father, you know how we have the uh, the, the holiday season coming up here, and inevitably our non-Catholic family members will gather around the dinner table before a meal and offer the typical prayer, you know, Heavenly mm-hmm. Father, thank you for bringing us together today and blessing this food mm-hmm. and that. How should a Catholic respond to that type of prayer by a, by a Protestant or a non-Catholic family member? How should they respond to it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> the Catholics should pray the Catholic race, <laughs> okay? And they should if there's going to be a family gathering and and um, Uncle Luther <laughs> is designated to lead the the prayer before the meal, okay? Uh, Uncle Luther will do what Lutherans do and what other non-Catholics do. Often, for the mo- for the most part, they don't believe in what we call corporate prayer or prayer of uh, rote prayers that we pray together. But they just designate him to sort of make something up on the spot. And they'll say, oh, Heavenly Father, you know, we are this, that, and the other thing. But others can only stand there and kind of silently listen, kind of nod their heads with what he says. Because uh, the idea of us standing around and praying uh, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory be to the Father, that's something kind of foreign to the Protestant idea because... It's all about the individual before God. They, they've lost the idea of the church, really. They talk about church, but they don't mean the same thing by church that the Catholic church means. Okay, So the idea of corporate prayer, getting together to worship God together in the, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, for example, they've lost all that. Even when they get together in their churches for their Bible readings, and, you know, you have individuals leading, saying prayers that others just basically are listening to and then say, Amen, at the end. Or shout, Hallelujah, Amen, during the prayer while it's going on. But some individual is leading his his own personal, you know, prayer. So there's a very big difference in that sense between, um, you know, standing around the table with, as I say, Uncle Luther leading the prayer, and everybody just sort of nodding their heads and saying, okay, what you say, what he says, what he says. Um, and that's, that's what they're reduced to, unfortunately. Um, what Catholics should be doing that time is actually folding their hands, joining hands. You know, Catholics fold their hands because they fold their hands because that, it's not that we don't like the people around us and we're trying to avoid them, okay? But the, the idea when we pray... We pray with this gesture of prayer because our concentration is toward God, you know, and our thoughts are raised to God. I think that Protestants tend to join hands to kind of supply for what is lacking in the fact that they're all actually praying together. Uh, you just have one person leading and everybody else is kind of assenting to what he's saying. Um... And so because of, you know, we're not all actually praying together, saying the prayer together, we're we're joining hands to show a kind of solidarity. I don't know. It it just strikes me that way. But Catholics should uh, ideally fold their hands and they should should offer the Catholic prayer of uh, 
of the blessing and giving thanks afterwards, often something that Catholics unfortunately forget. The grace before meal and the prayer after meal are both part of Catholic practice, and we should not forget them. And this is a good opportunity for the Catholic at the end of the meal, if he's been, shall we say, um, relegated to silence before the meal, and just standing there with his head bowed, listening to Uncle Luther, Yuan. And uh, after the meal, if they all want to get up and um, go and sit out in the front porch or whatever, he can say, well, let's not forget prayer after meal, too. And uh, most of them probably will not know what that means, but he will know. And perhaps then he can find his voice and actually lead them in a true Catholic grace prayer after meals, too. Um, I guess if the question comes down to, should a Catholic be willing to say amen to a prayer led by a Protestant, I would say there wouldn't be anything wrong with it insofar as it doesn't say anything that is contrary to the faith. But you certainly wouldn't want to give the impression that you consider that to be... uh, there to be no real difference um, between what your uncle or aunt or whoever is saying and uh, you know and meaning and and so on than what you're saying uh, because you, you pray as a Catholic. I remember what uh, uh, Blessed Oliver Plunkett said, the Scottish bishop, right, who was being hung. He's going to be hung, drawn, and quartered by the heretics of Scotland, okay, the followers of John Knox, and the Catholic bishop in Scotland, uh, standing there on the scaffold, was invited by his Protestant executioners to pray with them, and he said, no, I will not pray with heretics, because you have your way of praying, and I have mine as a Catholic, and they are not the same. And when they asked him where he wanted to be buried, in what cemetery, he said, I will not be buried in your cemeteries with heretics. I want to be buried out in the open field with the birds because they are not heretics. (laughs) So he was very, uh, very forceful about that. Now, I'm not saying that at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, 12-year-old Penelope should announce to the rest of them there are a bunch of heretics, and she's not going to to join them uh, either in prayer or at the meal. I'm not saying that. That is not necessary these days, I think, Uh, because I don't think the fact that she stands there with her eyes closed and her head bowed uh, announces to the world that she has become Presbyterian, okay? Um... But at the same time, I, she really should offer the Catholic prayer of grace and say amen to that. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's of any help, <clears throat> good. If it's not, I apologize. <laughs> that's all right. Father, if we could end with, with one, one last email here that, that I've, I've wanted to get to. Uh, we covered Protestants, and so now let's talk about Jews here. From this email from this viewer who says, Father Jenkins, you know that Vatican II forbade anyone to speak the truth about the Jews. It turns out that Vatican II obeyed the orders of the Jews. Jews are the evil of the world. They are a breed of vipers, children of the devil, as Jesus said. The Jews have created and fomented all evil in the world. 
They own gold, banks, the press, media, theater, cinema. They created Freemasonry, spiritualism, Gnosticism, globalism, limalism, modernism. Jews through the press and schools have indoctrinated people into all kinds of debauchery and corruption of moral, family, Christian values. I ask you to read the books Plot Against the Church, Anti-Christian Conjuration, and International Jew. The Jew is our enemy. It is he who has dominated us, and against him we must fight. Your blessing. Your blessing? Well, <laughs> is that what he says? Yeah, that's what he says. Oh, okay. Um, there's no doubt about it, but that Jewish forces are responsible for the evils uh, that we're facing now. Um, I mean, one can trace this all the way back to the synagogue. One sees this in Freemasonry with the uh, with the exaltation of Hiram Abif and the preoccupation with the Temple of Solomon and uh, the connection, mythological, but nonetheless uh, very powerful between Freemasonry and the Temple. Um, their imagery of the carpenters slaying the mason, Hiram Abif, the carpenter being a figure of our Lord, and uh, that this is to be avenged uh, by the Masons. Um, the Mason intention to turn the world into, return the world to a, a world of complete paganism, once again, uh, with the intention of uh, Voltaire and, um, and also Nubius, uh, 200 years later, of the Freemasons in, uh, in Italy that they want to erase the very idea of Christianity, the very memory of Christ from the world. Um, but to say that um, Voltaire, Francois-Marie uh, Francois Arouet, was a Jew, that wouldn't be right. To say that uh, uh, Nubius, the writer of the what we know as the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita to seize control of the church by seizing the papacy. Uh, there is no evidence that uh, that this Mason, uh, who went by the name of uh, Nubius, was a Jew. There is no evidence that Mazzini, if it, if Giuseppe Mazzini, if he was in fact Nubius, that he was a Jew. Okay. In fact, uh, I mean, ROA was a baptized Catholic, studied with the Jesuits. Uh, Mazzini, no doubt, was a baptized Catholic too. And so, to say that you know it's all about the Jews, it's the Jews, uh, it's, it's the Jews, all the Jews, and nothing but the Jews. There are Jews, and that's, yes, definitely behind the plot against the church. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but to say it's only Jews. And to say it's all the Jews, neither one of those would be correct. It is not all the Jewish people. Um, it, it would be very wrong to ignore the fact that the apostles were Jews, that the earliest converts to the faith were Jews, um, that they embraced uh, faith in Christ when it was not only unfashionable, but when it was actually very dangerous, okay? And when they were, they were willing to be excommunicated from the synagogues because of their faith and persecuted because of it. Uh, that the earliest converts were, uh, some of them, so attached to the law of Moses that they claimed that it was necessary to become Jewish before you could become Christian. Were, they, they claimed this because they believed that Christ really belonged to the Jews because he was one of them. Uh, 
And he was. He was um, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, uh, St. Joseph was appointed in the place of God the Father to watch over him as foster father. And uh, the fact is, our Lord was Jewish. He was a descendant of Abraham, to whom the promise was made that the Redeemer would come. So, you know, one has to be very careful in, in saying this, that one can incite hatred. And uh, that hatred is completely unacceptable in any Catholic. Our Lord has absolutely forbidden it. He forbade it uh, in his public life. He forbade it from the cross. Uh, and it, throughout the church, he has forbidden that hatred. Um, hatred is also incited by Satan. And one who gives into that is actually a functionary of Satan and is the enemy of Christ, as much as anybody else you would accuse of it. So uh, if there is a, a hatred there, it is wrong and very offensive to our Lord. Um, <clears throat> there are uh, Jews who are going to be <clears throat> converted. And in the book of the Apocalypse, chapter 7, we read, every uh, uh, feast of all saints and throughout the octave, about the 144,000 who are going to be signed on earth, 12,000 of the tribes of Israel, <clears throat> of each of the tribes of Israel, excluding the tribe of Dan, which just disappeared from history. Some say, as I mentioned before, that it's the Irish, but that's a theory of some people. <laughs> but anyway, um, the fact is that... Uh, it is in divine revelation that 12,000, a thousand for each of the, of the apostles, in a sense, uh, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will be anointed uh, in the end times who will form the backbone of the resistance to the Antichrist. And Henoch, Henoch and, and Elias will be the ones who will lead them. Um, so, uh, again, to claim it's all the Jews who uh, are... Um, uh, inveterate, avowed enemies of Christ uh, and are part of this massive plot uh, would not be right. You know, and it, it makes us look, uh, it would make one look, uh, uh, in a sense, malicious. Mm -hmm. Not only ridiculous, but malicious. malicious. Because there are, a lot of, there are a lot of people who really don't know. Yeah. They didn't know. And um, just as it would be wrong to say that all, every Muslim is, is an evil uh, hater of Catholics and a, a plotter, again, there are you know there are there are people who, who don't know their Muslim creed that much um, that they just really don't necessarily know. And to say that every Muslim person in the world is out to kill every Catholic person in the world, and that's what they plot night and day, is simply not reality. Um, our argument is with Islam itself. That's the problem. Uh, precisely what our people and our government deny. Because when the Islamics say, well, you're fighting, your war is against Islam. And, of course, the answer, oh, no, we're not against Islam. We're just against Islamic extremism, extremists, that's all. The fact is, yes, it is against Islam. It is against Islam itself. And um, 
because there's something very perverse about it, needless to say. And so, um, you know, to impugn every single uh, Jewish person and every single Islamic person as plotting night and day the, the death of every uh, non-Jew, non-Islamic, whatever, is, is not, is, it's just not true. It's not a fact. Uh, and at the same time, um, it is uh, it, it is a, a very serious mistake, and even a mistake against the faith, to uh, against divine revelation, to uh, fail to see that um, what you've got. See, I'm, I'm sorry to go on about this, Tom, but there's something that just really concerns me. In, in the book of the Apocalypse, okay, uh, we read already in the early chapters uh, about the angel addressing the churches. And it is commonly understood among the fathers that this concerns the various times of the church in her history, uh, the various churches that are addressed. And I think it is to the, the fifth uh, where the angel uh, speaks of those who claim they are Jews and are not. Um, and I think it's important also to make the, dis the distinction, okay, that the, the sacred scripture is telling us something important to know, that there are those who claim to be Jews and they are not, but they're using the cover of Judaism to justify their nefarious schemes. Because we know that um, Judaism as a religion is a very narrow, narrow thing, which is being, well, e even, even biblical Judaism is being practiced only by a very, very small, small number of people today. And uh, the rest are not even practicing anything having to do with Judaism, except maybe showing up at, at the synagogue, um, you know, for various functions at various times during the year, having bar mitzvah parties and so on. But I mean, you know, um, that it's, it's more of a cultural thing now, you know. <laughs> it's more of a heritage kind of thing. But, you know, to say that, that those... Uh, are descendants of, of Abraham. That's not true. That is not true. You know, to be really Jewish in, a, in the sense that uh, uh, really heirs of the, of the promise of the Messiah, so to speak, uh, those claiming that this is what uh, makes them Jewish, uh, there are very few of those today who have any claim to be as it were, so, so, quote unquote, biblical Jews. You know, um, most of them have rejected real biblical Judaism. So, um, who are they? Well, I mean, we're told in sacred scripture they claim to be Jews, but they really are not. Um, but there definitely, again, are those who are the sons of Abraham and are part of that plot and leaders of the plot against Christ. And uh, if one were to say that they are spearheading this, they are the, the brains behind it, they are the moneyed powers behind it, and so on, I would say yes. Yes, that is true. That that about it. So we have to um, face that, that fact and just acknowledge the fact. I guess 
my question to this this individual because I've known a number of people who insist on that so much that you no matter what you say you always have to end it by saying and it's a, and it's the Jews you always have to say that and it's the Jews uh, and I ask myself why I mean Why are they obsessing about the fact that we have to make it uh, everybody know and understand and see that, and this is the one thing that, that overrides everything else? Uh, that aspect. Um, I've known people, this is all it's about, you know? And um, I, I just wonder why that... that, that singular motivation seems to be there um, almost like a Gnosticism that if you know that that you're you're saved <laughs> you know just knowing that you know acknowledging it you'll be saved um, so let's let's understand it in the right way and I'm not talking about the Novus Ordo way the Novus Ordo way would have us return to the practice of biblical Judaism that's what the Novus Ordo would do that's where Bergoglio would take us and um, that's the way the fundamentalist Protestants would take us. They want us to go back to the practice of biblical Judaism, uh, which is absolutely wrong and is fundamentally a denial of Christ having come and given us a New Testament. We're not going to practice the Old Testament. Um, uh, this is all part, again, of the Jewish message. The, the 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 Jewish plotting, the Masonic Jewish plot, to get us back there to practicing the Torah, uh, practicing the Talmud, to practicing the Talmud, and accepting that. Uh, and of course, we we cannot want to do that. Mm-hmm. And Father, I, I think it's important to note too in this discussion that uh, you know there was a a great saint who once said that all the evil in the world is owing to bad Catholics. And there was mm-hmm. there's another saint who. Uh, a Carmelite nun, I believe, who the enemy forces were, were closing in on her town and her, and her mm-hmm. convent, and the other nuns kind of came to her and said, are, are, you, are you afraid of what's happening? And she said, the only mm-hmm. thing I have to fear in the world is bad Catholics. Mm-hmm. And also, you, you mentioned the book of the Apocalypse. There's the, the verse in there talking about the lukewarm Catholics and how our Lord said, I, I would rather you were hot or cold, but because you're you are lukewarm, I will mm-hmm. vomit you out of my mouth. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an important thing to remember, too, is that... Mm-hmm. Like like the the quote said, you know, all the evil in the world is owing to bad Catholics. So I say, let, let's focus on. on well, Catholics. I guess the message there would be that uh, the Jews who are part of this plot and only part of it, right, because they have plenty of allies, have found their most powerful allies in bad Catholics. Yeah. yeah. And if it weren't for those bad Catholics, they could accomplish nothing. Sure. against Christ and his church. It's yeah. the bad Catholics yeah. who are the real problem. And I fear those who obsess about this are actually looking for some kind of justification for a hatred they have, a kind of ethnic hatred. And I find that... Uh, uh, I, I find it awful, mm-hmm. uh, really, and, and completely non-Catholic, anti-Catholic. Really. Sure, sure. Well, Father, we've covered an awful lot tonight from the 
Turks. And we, we have all kinds of good stuff. I think. Well, you've been pointing the way here, so <laughs> you've gone far afield. <laughs> I give you credit for that. No problem. All kinds of good stuff. Thanks to all of our, all of our viewers and all of our, our wonderful emails that we've received. Mm -hmm. so, but thank you for being here tonight, Father. Very well, John. Thank you. No problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.